Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Jimmy Nichols of Blue Bonnet Feeds about truly fascinating science breakthroughs in equine nutrition and how that relates to new theories on human nutrition. We also laugh way too much about things like Captain Crunch, the Snickers Generation, Leaky Gut, and the term fecal matter. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Before the interview begins, I just wanted to let the listeners know that there is some random traffic noise in the background at times. This is not because I interviewed Dr. Nichols on a street corner, though I'm sure she would have been game to do that. I had actually chosen a small coffee shop on a quiet back street for the interview. For whatever reason, large trucks immediately began zooming down the usually deserted street once our interview got underway. The good news is that it is just occasional and mostly interferes only at moments when I'm talking and not saying anything particularly interesting either. Please enjoy the interview. I've never had so much fun and never thought that I would laugh so often during a conversation about equine nutrition. So welcome to the Horsewise podcast, Dr. Jimmy Nichols of Blue Bonnet Feeds. Thank you. And uh, now for our listeners who have no idea what, what you're a doctor of or what you would be doing for Blue Bonnet Feeds, could you please kind of give an overview of what your work is and how you came to do it, what it involves? Yeah, absolutely. So I am actually the director of nutrition for Blue Bonnet Feeds. Um, I've been with Blue Bonnet since 2011. Um, I basically oversee formulation, so product development, um, basically anything related to nutrition and the feeds, that's on my shoulders. Um, The quality of the product, just making sure everything is up to standard, um, I I handle all of that. And then I also get out in the field and I do seminars and presentations and education events and work with our, uh, we have a field of nutrition consultants and so I do ride-alongs with them and you know, we'll call on individual horse accounts and customers and just kind of get a little bit more personal um, with some people. And so I, I kind of go, you know, from the, um, the people side all the way to the completely data side. I kind of run that whole realm. Wow, it sounds like a pretty broad based position. So it's not that you're just in kind of the lab, like people might think director right. of nutrition, like you're just in the lab in a white coat yeah. and kind of looking at that only. You're, it sounds like you're actually out in the field a lot, gathering, I guess, data, but also educating, which I find really fascinating. So tell us about the education efforts. Why is that so key? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, all right, we're, we're on the brink of 2020 and in my opinion, horses need to be fed much more differently in 2020 than they were fed in 1950 or 1960 or even 1980 or 1990. Um, The research has been evolving, you know, the nutrition has been evolving, the technology that we have to make feed has evolved. And so I think it's really important to get out there and really kind of share that with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's easy for horse people to kind of get stuck in a rut Mm -hmm. and do things the way that they, their parents did them or their grandparents did them or, you know, just they were taught something at some point in life and it's easy to just do that for the rest of your life unless you learn something otherwise. Definitely. And I've noticed just with my experience in different parts of the horse industry that that traditionalism is a big part of it. So whether you are in the horse racing industry and you're still pin firing your horses because that's what your grandparents did, you don't even though by modern veterinary standards, there's literally no reason to do that anymore, (laughs) but it's still done. 
And these are, and it's done by people who are not bad people, but who just really, they haven't gotten the context. Exactly. So, and so tell us about what has changed. Like why, why, what do we know now about feeding horses that is different? Yeah, so, I mean, historically, let's say, you know, I mean, most people would say that, you know, historically a horse, uh, give them good quality hay, give them oats, they're good to go. Right. Um, you know, the next advancement per se would be, okay, well, let's make sure the calcium and phosphorus is balanced. You know, let's give them a, a mineral. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but then after that, it's just kind of, they just kind of get stuck in that and that's what they do. Um, you know, the reality is, is now we're learning that, you know, there's a lot of um, side effects, per, let's say maybe, towards oats um, due to their starch and sugar content in them. Mm -hmm. um, we're learning more about what starch and sugar does to the body. Um, both on the human side and on the equine side. I was just going to say that like, I have switched to such a completely low-carb diet over the last few years personally. Exactly, exactly. And there's actually a lot of parallels between what we're finding or what researchers are finding on the human side. Um, the equine really parallels that. And so oats are really heavy in starches and, and sugars. And so there's a lot of um, negative effects that can happen from that. Um, everything from too quick of growth rates, um, OCDs, um, the, the whole equine metabolic syndrome, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're really bad for horses with laminitis, mm -hmm. um, horses that tie up, you know, there's just this whole um, host of uh, ailments that horses are dealing with and, and a lot can be tied back to the diet. Um, so, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, there weren't, you know, oats were a great option because really at that point you didn't have the ability to pellet. Right. Mm -hmm. So your only options were these cereal grains. Mm -hmm. And so you had corn, you had oats or you had barley. Those mm -hmm. were basically the three to choose from. Well, if you only have those three to choose from, oats is the best option because mm -hmm. it is higher in fiber than the other two. Mm -hmm. um, so, so corn and barley are actually even higher in starch than oats are. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there was a, t a time where oats were the best choice to provide those extra calories and that extra energy. You know, um, back in the days, you had horses that were actually being utilized for hard work. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So now we have horses. Most horses are are primarily pleasure and show performance if their performance are working they're, they're doing it in a very specific show pen environment and so that means they're often kept in stalls too so i would think oats nowadays would be good for horses that are on large ranches where they have a constant activity they have a natural forage in addition to the oats as a booster but they're not sitting in a stall going out two, three times a week to do like specific show work and then going back in the stall. Exactly. Is that right? Okay, yep, so that exactly. makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, uh, feeding high levels of starch and sugar to a horse is a lot like giving a, a third grader a Mountain Dew and a Snickers bar. <laughs> which happened in <laughs> and, the 70s like all the time, which, right. is, which is why we had a whole demented generation. <laughs> You know, let's not do that with horses. Let's yeah. not have let's not have the Snickers generation. <laughs> well, and then on top of that, if you tell that little kid to then go sit in a classroom, yeah, good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> learn something. Good luck. Right. Not happening. Yeah, not happening. And so we kind of have that same situation with the horses. You know, they're essentially they're stalled. You know, for the most part, they get out. You know, they get ridden for a short amount of time during the day. And then if we pump a bunch of sugar into them. Um, we do get that kind of anxiety or that nervousness, mm -hmm. the hot-headedness, you know, so just a lot of these problems that people have with their horse and they can't figure out why. Right. Um, it can actually tie back to nutrition. And so there's just kind of this movement that we're trying to kind of educate, you know, there are different um, 
nutrition sources, so you know, cool energy calories versus you know these starchy calories. Um, you know, using fat sources is are a really good way to to get calories into a horse and get that bloom and that shine, but mm. you don't get the excitable attitude and the hot headed. You know, you get a more level. Uh, mm -hmm. energy out of them. And is it, just because I'm thinking of the correlation to human diets, and is it essentially that an inflammatory response is being triggered, just like in people, when, if you have a, if you have a high carbohydrate diet, a lot of starches, the current kind of medical opinion is that that is actually creating a lot of inflammatory response, which is now they're seeing as the source of most disease. So is that similar? Absolutely. Oh, interesting, that's Absolutely. so fascinating. Yeah. So in fact, it's actually starting to tie, you can actually start to tie it towards leaky gut syndrome. Oh, fascinating. So if you have higher levels of starches and sugars in the diet, um, because horses are hindgut fermenters, mm -hmm. so they have this good bacteria that live in very high populations in the hindgut, and starch and sugar can actually negatively impact mm -hmm. those microbial populations. And to, to add to that, there's a direct connection between the brain and the gut. For sure. So it's called the gut-brain axis. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a direct line. There's a nerve called the vagus nerve mm -hmm. that connects the two. And what we know both on the human side and on the equine side is if you have um, a gut that's out of balance, a microbial population that's out of balance, mm -hmm. you typically are going to have issues going on mentally. Um, so wow. in humans, that um, presents itself as, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, anxiety, yeah. anxiety exactly, you know, depression. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can definitely have that same effect in horses as well. Wow, that's really interesting. And uh, in people, I know it can trigger autoimmune responses. Leaky gut is often really associated with that yes. now. And I've read an article recently that there's been a, you know, kind of a spike in autoimmune, at least diagnoses, compared mm -hmm. to you know, 20, 30 years ago, okay. and maybe even 10 years ago. So I find that really interesting as well because I know, I've increasingly heard of horses that seem to have these on again, off again metabolic issues that aren't classically within a classic diagnosis, mm -hmm. but eventually they become a classic diagnosis. So it does sound like that's a very interesting Absolutely. correlation. Well, and let me take a second just for the listeners to kind of explain leaky gut. Yes, please. Um, you know, because it is, I think that that's gonna be the next big topic in, in the world of equine nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so right now, if you walk into a room of horse people and, and you say, raise your hand if you've heard of, of gastric ulcers. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody in the room will raise their hand, right? I work with thoroughbreds, so yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Both my hands go up, yes. <laughs> if you walk into that same room and you say, raise your hand if you've heard about leaky gut and understand it, yeah. you don't get anything. Oh. But I think if you look five years, you know, for sure 10 years from now, you walk into that same room and I think every hand's gonna go up. Oh, that's interesting. I think that leaky gut is really that next thing that, that people are gonna start to learn about. Um, the, the research is really starting to focus there. We're learning a lot more about that in the research side. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what, what happens with leaky gut is the, the, so think of the intestinal tract. Mm -hmm. um, the entire tract is lined with epithelial cells, mm -hmm. okay? So epithelial cells are basically what protects the inside of the body from what's going through the digestive tract. Right, And which would be bad for all of my listeners, just so you understand, we do not want fecal matter into the rest of our body, <laughs> just to make that really vivid and unpleasant image for everyone <laughs> who's been, maybe they've been starting to go, this sounds like science and I'm falling asleep. So there you go. I introduced the term fecal matter. So everyone woke back up. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so what happens is, those cells that line that tract should all be held together really tightly. 
Um, they're held together by what are called tight junctions. Mm -hmm. Okay, what happens in leaky gut is those tight junctions start to fail and those cells start to separate. So you then have gaps along the intestinal tract. Mm. And so it allows things that are in the digestive system to pass into the body that normally wouldn't be passed in. I see. So it can be, you know, nutrients that aren't fully digested. Right. Um, you know, it can be antigens and, and things that the horse can be allergic to or, or the, the body perceives them as being dangerous, so then attacks. And so that's where you get back to this autoimmune. Right. Exactly. Right. And so one of the most common things I'll see is uh, a client will come and then I will say, I need a feed program that doesn't have, and then they will list like 30 different items. Can't have oats, can't have corn, right. can't have beet pulp, can't have Timothy, can't have Bermuda, can't have alpha. <laughs> right. You know, the list goes on. And, and they look at me and say, what can I feed my horse? You know, and, and that's where I stop and we start the education process. Right. And, right. you know, let's talk about leaky gut. Let's talk about what's probably going on here. You know, you've got all of these positives, but they're all very low positives, okay? Right. So more than likely what's going on is, is that horse has a compromised digestive system mm -hmm. and is overreacting to the diet. Right. And so rather than leaning on allergy shots and, and, and making all of these deletions from the diet, you know, trying to mask or, or treat the symptoms, mm -hmm. let's get to the root of the problem right. and let's correct this leaky gut. And so there's, there are things from the nutrition side that we can do to actually pull those tight junctions back together to heal that lining and mm -hmm. prevent it from happening. And for, just for our listeners too, explain how a high starch, high sugar diet kind of creates an environment where those tight junctions get looser. Yeah, so it really all starts with inflammation. Right, okay. And so that sugar basically goes in there, you know, you get that inflammatory response and that inflammatory response, that inflammation starts to then degrade mm -hmm. those tight junctions. And when those tight junctions start to lose their um, ability to stay pulled together, they just, they weaken. Right. And so that then allows the cells themselves to separate. And then it can actually go a step further where the cells will actually start to disintegrate themselves and fall apart. Everything becomes more porous. Basically. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that makes sense. And so what is the solution? So explain like what your research has shown, but also how Blue Bonnet feeds, because it, this is just for my listeners too. So I started using Blue Bonnet feeds about four or five years ago and did a lot of research, uh, tortured the company, basically <laughs> made you guys do all these presentations because I was like, oh, a feed company, like they're all the same. And, uh, and I got just a huge amount of knowledge from that process. And we started using the feed both for the charity that I've worked with part-time as also for my personal horses, mm -hmm. saw a huge change just in the stability of, of the horse's response. The stability, of course, of the feed product is quite superior. But I just want to make it clear, I'm not like a paid representative. This isn't like, uh, what, what do you call it? I'm not an uh, affiliate or anything right, like that. Right. But I got a lot more interested in equine nutrition after working with Blue Bonnet. So it is something that I personally can say that I have seen the benefits of without necessarily 100%, I wouldn't be able to rattle off what the science is behind it. Sure. So go ahead and, and do that part for us. Yeah, um, absolutely. That'd be great. So it really, you know, the foundation of a good feed is really the ingredients that you use. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we do to begin with is our mill. So the Blue Bonnet Feeds Mill is a completely ionophore free facility cool. and it's a horse focused facility. And so uh, for those that aren't familiar with the term ionophore, 
uh, ionophores are basically um, feed grade antibiotics that are commonly right. used in production livestock. Mm -hmm. And so the majority of feed mills out there are making feed for production animals. So cattle, y you know, production livestock that, that we would actually consume and mm -hmm. eat. Um, horses really are kind of a secondary focus on mo in most of those mills. And so they bring in ingredients that could actually be potentially harmful to a horse. Um, and ionophores are, are one of those things. So basically, if, if a horse were to consume an ionophore by accident, it's lethal. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's the chance for cross-contamination, accidental, you know, so, I mean, now, now if you are gonna use ionophores in a facility, those mills do flushing procedures. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of quality processes, you know, quality control processes put in place, but you can't eliminate that risk completely. Right. Um, and so we just, we take the standpoint that horses are our focus at Blue Bonnet Feeds. So, you know, we, we only bring ingredients that are horse quality. Mm -hmm. So we test all of our ingredients before they come in. We run nutrient specs. We have an analyzer in-house. Um, we check for insects, weevil, you know, trash. Wow. We check for just this, this whole list of things that each ingredient has to pass all of these standards. If it doesn't pass even one of those standards, it gets rejected. Wow, that's great. It, yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's a lot of work. I was just I was just thinking that I was just thinking, well, this isn't just like something where you have oh, we just do this one little filter. Like, it's something that it's a very big part of the production it is the screening and the preparation before anything gets produced. It's kind of laying that framework. Exactly. So I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, and I think something that's kind of interesting to note that people maybe don't think about is when we reject an ingredient truck, I mean, it doesn't just go to the dumpster. It right. has to go somewhere. And so it goes to a mill that's willing to accept it at those lower specs and those lower standards. I see. And of course, it typically comes with a discounted price. Right. And so, you know, sometimes when I'm doing seminars or, or visiting with people, they'll say, well, why does your feed cost so much more than this local milled feed that I have here? You know, and that's just one of the, the reasons is sure. the difference in the ingredients that we're using. Right. Um, so first, so first and foremost, horse focused facility. Um, secondly, when we're, we're, when we developed the horse feeds, we really wanted to, to hone in on this, um, kind of, uh, lower starch, lower sugar, you know, bring the calories from, from fat sources, mm -hmm. have more of a cool energy source, mm -hmm. you know, really keep the, the main components of the formula fiber based, mm -hmm. you know, so alfalfa meal mm -hmm. is the base in most of our, our horse feeds, um, because it provides a really good amino acid profile. It is good quality protein. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it is low in starch, low in sugar. You know, it really gives the horse a more stable um, source of energy versus getting these peaks and valleys in glucose and insulin. You can stay more constant. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, uh, we really wanted to put a focus on the digestive support component. You know, and so because things like leaky gut and ulcers um, are becoming so prevalent in the horse world today, um, you know, we really wanted to take a look at, okay, let's, let's provide some prebiotics, let's provide some probiotics, let's make sure we have digestive enzymes in the diet. And, and the three of those things together can really help horses um, maintain a more stable uh, digestive environment. Basically. Which is what we all want, like from an owner's perspective, 
it's just like, please don't call it. <laughs> like, please, <laughs> like, please just gain weight and then hold it. Don't, don't drop weight and then gain weight. Don't go on sugar binges or whatever. So, and I think that's another element I really appreciated in your feed was that the horses that I put on, they, they range from easy keepers to hard keepers, horses in rehab, horses that are ready to go do performance work. And it just gave this consistency across the board. So I, I knew that if a horse was displaying some kind of digestive issue, it wasn't gonna be because of the feed. Right. It was gonna be something else. It was gonna be that the horse wasn't drinking or that the horse had ingested something random in his pasture. As horses will do, if they find <laughs> the one thing that we don't want them to ingest that's exactly. hidden under four inches of dirt, and they're like, I would like to eat that. No reason. <laughs> so, but it was, it was, it was helpful for something to always eliminate. And it also created a consistent consistency in their eating patterns. So, which when I was using other feed, and this is not to in any way denigrate other feed companies, it's just, I have an unusual perspective because at different times I was managing larger groups of horses. And what I would notice is that sometimes the feed, none of the horses would want to eat all of it. And it might have been just that particular batch. It wasn't that it was, quote, bad. It just meant that maybe there was a slight ratio of something that was off. And the horses were like, no, thank you to this. I don't want to eat at all. Meanwhile, I'm thinking they're all colicking because <laughs> they're only eating three quarters of their grain, which usually means zombie apocalypse. So I'm running around. So there's a lot of education that I had to go through when I was first doing that kind of work. And what I found with, with the Blue Bonnet feed products, and again, you guys are, are, are more of a regional company, and we can go into that in a minute, but it means also that you're very focused on that consistency in the product. So, and that's just, again, anecdotal. I'm definitely not a scientist. It's just coming from, again, a horse owner perspective, running a facility perspective, and that I chose you guys because of the education that you gave me, which is why you're on this podcast, because <laughs> I'm like, I should share this with people. So, well, I love that you use the word consistency because as we all know, horses crave consistency in everything, whether it's their feed, the daily routine, whatever, the more consistent you can be with a horse, the better the horse is going to be. And so that's why we chose on our formulas. We actually use a locked formula policy. Oh, how cool. And so the ingredients are in there. It's like a recipe, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you get the exact same ingredients, the exact same amount of them all the time. Um, and there are some feed manufacturers and certain feeds that, that use what is called a um, collective terminology in their ingredient listing. So it's not a locked formula. Mm -hmm. um, the way that you can, so listeners, the way that you can tell <laughs> whether- It's just address them as listeners. They like that. <laughs> that makes them, they immediately start paying attention. Right. <laughs> so go grab your feed tag and look at the ingredients list. And if the ingredients start with things like grain products, uh, processed grain byproducts, roughage products, molasses products, anywhere that you see the words products in there basically means that the manufacturer is using what is called collective terminology. And so what that means is there's, um, so feed tags are regulated um, by the American Association of Feed Control Officials, so AFCO. And AFCO basically gives you a list of ingredients under each term that can be included. So grain products, for example, could be corn, oats, barley, uh, you know, this, a list of, I think there's close to 20 different ingredients. Frosted flakes. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. 
And so as long as the manufacturer is using at least one or right. a mix of any of those ingredients, they just put the, the word grain products on there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what that does is it allows them to change those ingredients when the commodity markets change. Uh, I see. It I also see. allows them to change their ingredients if they accept different qualities of grains I see. when they come in. Okay, so back to this whole consistency Stincy thing. thing. <laughs> right. That's why sometimes you, the bag of feed might look a little different in color, it might smell a little different, horses might decide they don't want to eat a particular batch. It's because there have been those small changes in the formulas which can actually change the way that the feed looks and the way that the horse perceives it. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And um, so I'm not going to make you go through a recitation of all the Blue Bonnet feed products in the show notes uh, for the listeners who are interested, and I know a lot of them will be. We will have links to all of the different product lines at Blue Bonnet with the details, and I'll also include you know, information to, to how to get more information you know, directly from the company and from, from Lindsay as well. Um, so, so just to kind of keep that so you don't have to go, oh gosh, now I have to rattle them all <laughs> off like it's a test. But um, just kind of circling back to you, so as we've been talking, you know, I'm going back to, again, your title is Dr. Nichols and the type of work that this involves. Obviously, um, this is something that took a lot of study, a lot of preparation for you to become so proficient in this career. For our listeners and for me too, I don't really understand like what your educational background sure. is and, and why it was required to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my bachelor's degree is in equine science. Mm -hmm. um, I had actually originally started out wanting to be a veterinarian. Right. And so I started taking, you know, all of the pre-vet courses. Okay. Yeah, right. every right. horse girl wants to be a vet, right? right. <laughs> and um, quickly decided that, you know, being on call 24-7 and uh, didn't sound so appealing and I kind of wanted to have a life because I was I was actively riding. So I went through um, college on, on scholarships. Oh, and, cool. And, uh, you know, so I, I needed, you know, horses to be a part of my life and I needed to figure out what that looked like. So um, I changed from being a pre-vet major to equine science. So mm -hmm. my bachelor's is in equine science. I then stayed and got a master's degree um, in animal science. My focus was equine nutrition. Wow. Um, and then I actually entered the workforce after that. Um, I actually started with Blue Bonnet Feeds as an outside sales uh, consultant and mm -hmm. equine specialist consultant. Um, I then went back to school, got my PhD, um, and then worked my way into the, the position that I'm in now as, as director of nutrition. So, um, you know, with my PhD, what I, what I found when I was in the field and, and even as I was working, um, so uh, veterinarians don't get a lot of nutrition training during veterinary school. Makes sense. And I mean, they've got a lot to learn. They do, <laughs> they do. It's like, oh, in addition, please master this <laughs> yeah. and do surgeries and yeah, exactly. everything. Yeah. And, and not just for horses, let's do it for every species of animal that exists. Right, you right, know? good luck with that, 10-year yeah. program. <laughs> yeah. Not happening. <laughs> and so, you know, what I, when I, once I got into the industry, I realized that there was really this lack that, you know, they needed a support mechanism yeah. when it came to nutrition. And so that kind of, um, 
guided um, an area of interest for me where I really wanted to dive into, you know, how can we as nutritionists support equine veterinarians? What do they need? What can we do for them? How can we provide it? And so I actually um, did some research with Oklahoma State University that was part of my PhD program. Oh, cool, yeah. And looking into that, you know, what do veterinarians need? What do they feel like they're missing? How can we provide that? You know, let's look into how we develop some continuing education programs for them. And so that that's kind of where my interest, you know, so basically my, my PhD work, a lot of that was centered around, you know, um, working with equine veterinarians and improving their knowledge base in equine nutrition. And what is your PhD in specifically? So it is, it is specifically in ag education with a focus on equine nutrition education for veterinarians. Wow, that sounds like a great degree. And you got that through OSU? Through, yep. OSU, that's yeah. great. That's, yep. I'm just, I'll include links to some of these programs as well because mm -hmm. I didn't realize that 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 even existed and it's so necessary. Right. I work very closely with um, Austin Equine Hospital through the charity mm -hmm. uh, LOPE and also just personally again. And I think they're absolutely top notch in, in their nutritional knowledge, but not every veterinarian can, can do that, right. right? And that has something to do with the highly disturbed team of veterinarians that are there. <laughs> they're very <laughs> much overachievers and uh, they're curious about everything. And so that's not so typical, yeah. right? So, and then it makes sense to me as well that, you know, you identify that gap and then, then it kind of draws you in, doesn't it? Exactly. Like that you kind of almost get, it takes over. Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's been so fun to, to work with these veterinarians, you know, when, they, when they're presented with a case and, they're like, and they, they know that there's a nutrition tie to it, but they don't have the time to go read all of the recent research. No. <laughs> you know, it's so much easier for them to just pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, what do you think about this situation? Right. And so for our team to become consultants for veterinarians in the term, you know, in the nutrition field has been really fun. Yeah. Um, it's been a really neat kind of evolution for our company and for our team of consultants. I think we're, we have, t I think, 10 total nutrition consultants that basically cover a region from essentially Louisiana to Arizona, we're just a little bit into Southern California. Mm -hmm. um, and then we go up uh, through, you know, New Mexico, Colorado. Um, we're just kind of breaking into Montana a little oh, bit. I didn't realize that. That's great. Yeah. And then, um, of course, Texas and Oklahoma is, is our sweet home zone. Base. Yeah, yeah, that's home base. Um, but then we're moving up through Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, um, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota. Um, so, so we are expanding. We've, we are um, certainly looking into options to, to have a little bit more of a national um, play in the future, hopefully, Good. if things work out. Good. So. I think the educational doorway is, is a great way to get that happening, too, because, again, it's, it's a gap in the industry in general. And so it's a, a great way for the feed products to essentially find their market on that larger scale. Because once you know this information, it's difficult to go, oh yeah, I want frosted flakes <laughs> for my horses. It just, it's once you, and just like again with people. So I was the kind of person, just cause it's my podcast, I get to talk about myself at some point. It's just, it's just part of the deal. Um, I was the kind of person who, you know, I've always been fairly slim and athletic. And I would really be sort of disdainful of people who had like, these, they're fussy about their diets. Like, oh, you're one of those people. You have all these, oh, come on, <laughs> right. really? Just have the Frosted Flakes. I mean, let's go. And, uh, and then I realized I was tired a lot of the time. And uh, uh, it was suggested to me by a family member that I might want to look at this kind of low starch, high protein, high fat, 
uh, gluten-free, which was something that I was really irritated about, that I was actually going to experiment <laughs> with gluten-free because that's for just silly people. So, but I, I did it kind of almost on a bet. And sure enough, uh, much to my chagrin, after about 60 days, I'm like, well, I feel a lot better. I've a lot, got a lot more energy, so I guess I'm sort of gluten-free. <laughs> so I was really like kind of grudging. So now I can't make fun of people, which, you know, gets me irritable because I like to make fun of people. So, but, so once, once I had that, once I really experienced it and also saw it with some family members, that made me a lot more aware of, oh, this is probably why, you know, it's the same with horses. Like you said, there is a lot of correlation. Horses, uh, all animals are emotional, but horses really demonstrate it because we use them for performance and work. And so you really see that link between how they're feeling physically and how they're feeling mentally, sometimes in very emphatic ways that you would really <laughs> rather not experience, right? So uh, I just think that's just really gonna be interesting for everyone who's listening to, to, to get that context. And I do wanna circle back now to, you said you went to college on, on equestrian scholarships. So tell us about your horse background. Yeah, so, um it was actually rodeo scholarships. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I grew up on a uh, ranch in northern Nebraska in the Sand Hills. Um, we were actually right on the South Dakota border, so the Nebraska-South Dakota border, actually like half of our land is in South Dakota and half of it is in Nebraska. Our, even wow. The state line literally ran through our place, like the house is in Nebraska <laughs> so and cool. the barn is in South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> Different zip codes. Right. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I grew up with the, the ranching background and just grew up on the back of a horse. I mean, we used horses to move cattle, to do everything, you know, uh, on day-to-day -day ranch life. And so I learned to rope, you know, I learned oh, to cool. run barrels and tie goats and all of that. And so rodeo just ran in my blood. So my dad was um, a saddle bronc rider and a roper and my mom ran barrels. And oh, it just, cool. I had no idea. Yeah. So it just kind of was, I mean, it's who I was. Right. Um, so I was fortunate enough to go um, through college on rodeo scholarships and then actually stayed. Um, so at Montana State University, um, I, where I stayed to get my master's degree, I actually stayed and was a graduate assistant coach for the women's rodeo team as well. Oh, how neat. Um, and it was really fun. The, the group of girls actually that I helped, you know, recruit and coach uh, went on to be na college national champions. Oh, that's awesome. And so it just, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a way for me to, you know, kind of enjoy that part of my life still while getting my education and, and furthering that, so. Oh, that's terrific. Well, I really enjoyed having you on as a guest. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with or any, any extra last bit of leaky gut terminology <laughs> we could kind of throw out there just to end it on some kind of a bacterial I, note? I, or? <laughs> so I, I want to toss out a little teaser. Okay. Your listeners should check out oral plasma for horses. Wow. Is this like a stock tip? Like <laughs> So the, there's a lot of um, really interesting research going on right now on what oral plasma can do to heal and prevent leaky gut and what it can do to improve lung health, overall gut health, and just total body inflammation reduction. Oh, that sounds great. So, so listeners, I want all of you to go to the show notes for this particular episode, and we will, we will have some links to information on that. And, uh, and also ways for you to get in touch with Blue Bonnet, learn more about their product. And if you have any questions for, for me or for Dr. Nichols, just give us a shout out. And thank you again, Dr. Nichols, what a great interview. Thank you.